0: Artist Jean Curran recently launched the Dungarvan Art Trail and running from May through September of 2021 in various shop windows, the art centre and the library. And the Dungarvan Art Trail is delighted to present the vertical project by internationally acclaimed locally based dye transfer artist and painter Jean Curran. And... uh, The Dungarvan Art Trail is the brainchild of Jean and has received support from the Creative Ireland Waterford and Arts Council, uh, sorry, the Arts Office in Waterford City and County Council and local business and property owners. And you are listening to Claire Radio Candler's Home and Abroad, and we are on the streets of Dungarvan. And Jean Curran, she's originally from Kilmac Thomas, County Waterford, and that's along the Greenway, if you're getting out there on your bikes, the midpoint, that beautiful little village. And... uh, one of only a small handful of working dye transfer painters in the world and the only artist to be using dye transfer painting as a basis for a contemporary practice and she's represented by the Danziger Gallery in New York and Michael Hoffman Gallery London and the Art Trail project involves a series of 18 original handmade dye transfer prints by Irish artist Jean and a work of editing and re representation that takes key scenes from Alfred Hitchcock's Ago, to reveal the artistry of the film in a fresh novel. Memphis. And then am to be on the streets of Dungarvan on a beautiful sunny day with Jean Curran as we set out mm-hmm. on the Arkhill. Jean, thanks a million for this mm-hmm. coming uh, saying we can mm-hmm. join you on this. No problem, happy so, to be here. Um, this whole concept Put it into your head. Where does it come from?
1: I suppose. Uh, are we talking about the project or the art trail?
0: The art trail and the art trail to start with.
1: Well, the art trail. I suppose um, during the first lockdown, I realised that you know cultural spaces are closed. Yeah. Uh, cultural events are cancelled. So, and I had been living in London for almost five years. Um, and I had moved home maybe just a year beforehand um, uh, just when the lockdown happened and I really really missed um, the availability of contemporary art within society that you have in London I really missed the quality and standard of the art galleries and the museums and I missed um, art being part of like the vernacular of the everyday and so that had been playing on my mind uh, for quite a while, and so I saw it as an opportunity straight away. That if everything is going to be cancelled, maybe there's an opportunity to bring, to use the town as an exhibition space. So instead of asking people to go to, uh, uh, you know, to take the time to travel to a certain space to go in to look around to seek out art, I was like, okay, let's put art in, into the shopfronts of the vacant buildings. Let's um, reappraise the space, and reimagine the space, and see what kind of response we get, and if it gets. Well, maybe we'll keep doing it. (laughs) So,
0: So who did you start with? Who did you task the idea of?
1: Oh, Margaret Organon, the Arts Officer of the Waterford City and County Council. And from the get-go, she has been uh, an absolute Trojan and she has been like, right, let's put put this into action, let's get it going.
0: Right, right. Okay. So in using vacant spaces and unfortunately there are quite a few vacant spaces around in all the towns in Ireland, what you're doing in a way it could be an inspiration to an awful lot more locations.
1: Yes and I've actually traveled to um, a few towns throughout Ireland and when you go in I mean they're so picturesque and they're so so pretty and and many of them have these really beautiful old shop fronts, and maybe um, are are unused vacant spaces and I think that when you're an artist and particularly in Ireland you're always looking for an outlet to exhibit and it just makes sense to use the space that's available but I suppose before um, Covid there was kind of like centralisation everyone was leaving the, city, the rural Ireland and moving to the cities and now I'm happy to say there's a bit of decentralisation and so there's maybe greater opportunities for people to show contemporary art in a rural context
0: some towns are more conducive than others, and Dungarvan particularly has a layout that, and I know we're going to go for a walk and we Talk about that as we do, but some towns are beautifully positioned to facilitate something like this.
1: Yes, but what works well for Dun is that the people of Dun embraced this idea. The shop owners, um, you know, um, happily handed me over their shop fronts and said, "Sure, do you want to get in? Put it in there. Not a problem." And that's been the big thing. If there was obstacles of people not allowing you to to utilize their premises, then you've got a problem. But because everybody here was so nice and so gracious and just thought it was. A great idea they all jumped on board and that's what makes things happen
0: so what brought you back to Kilmer Thomas? Uh, high rents
1: and bad space in London having <laughs> <laughs> a studio that was costing me an arm and a leg but that wasn't um, suitable for my for my needs and for me to get a space that would be suitable for my needs meant that I was going to be paying huge amounts of money yeah. and um, and as it was we were living in an environment that wasn't really we wanted to to that we'd outgrown and um, we just, yeah, we needed more space. So I'm very fortunate that I grew up on a on a farm, and some time ago I kind of inherited a old patch cottage. So we've we've we went home, I built a studio, and now that's that's our base.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So we're going to start out here in the square in Garvin and the first thing I notice is you have a, um, bar, a QR code in the window. Yes. Explain it to me.
1: So the QR code, as because of COVID you can't have the dis, um, dissemination of flyers, yeah. and so the QR code is really so that people can come along with their phone, open the camera of their phone and place the open camera to the QR code and it should bring you to the website which will show you the map and tell you about the project and tell you about the relevant partners and so on and so forth. Fantastic.
0: And would you say we are? this is where someone should start or, well I know they can start anywhere but you would recommend this start?
1: Yes, pharmacy in the square in Dungarvan is is stop number one, and this is the very first image um, in the series.
0: And explain the first image to me.
1: So the first image is a very very iconic vertigo image where Jimmy Stewart is hanging um, off a building, and this is where he develops his vertigo. But when I received these images from Universal Studios, there's a wider um, aspect ratio than what would be seen in the movie Um, so when you get a DVD or you saw it in the cinema or, or on television the, the image is cropped. So as we can see here we can see the piece of timber that he's hanging onto in the set yeah. um, and in the second image here which is a beautiful restaurant setting this restaurant was a famous restaurant in, in San Francisco called Ernie's and it, had, it had closed down um, but Hitchcock has them um, make a set to look like Ernie's and we can see here the rafters at the top and we can see the, the stage light set and we can see how it's, how it's laid out as a beautiful A beautiful set image.
0: So the process, the dyeing, the dye process. Given the uh, fine detail and everything else, explain your process to me.
1: So basically, in 1935, the very first full-color film was ever released, and it always kind of blows my mind to think about what was happening in America at that time. You had the the Great Depression, which started in 1929 with the with the collapse of Wall Street, and that continued on throughout the 1930s. Most of the imagery that is taken in America at that time shows really, you know, bleak hardship, despair and at the exact same time people were able to buy a cinema ticket and go and see Becky Sharp the first colour film ever released and it was showed colour in a world that was far greater um, than what was maybe present in people's everyday lives and that, those early colour films were made using this technicolour four strip process, three strip process and what it is is it's a um, 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 process that's developed using, um, okay this is the science part though so this is where I lose people <laughs> It basically it's it's three strips of film that that are sandwiched together. Mm-hmm. Each one is dyed a different color: a cyan, a magenta, or a yellow. Mm-hmm. There's, they're registered together to create the full color film. Mm-hmm. And so that is the same process by which I make these. And I, for me, it's a photographic printing process. Mm-hmm. And I was the first person, to, I suppose, to kind of come along and go, okay, old the original Technicolor movies were made using this this dye transfer process. Mm-hmm. There's no reason now with modern technology that I can't take a frame from an old Technicolor movie and reprint it as a photographic print. Therefore taking the work from cinematic to photographic and, and re- reimagining it that way.
0: Okay, so what's the difference then than rather just taking a screen capture?
1: Well, a screen capture is a digital file.
0: Yes, I know, uh, yeah. Yeah. So what you're doing is taking actual colour yeah. in the form of a liquid.
1: Yes, I've got three baths of dye. Yeah, right. And so all colour images are made up of, of three colour channels, red, green, and blue. Yes. Yeah. And so I separate a colour image out into its three colour channels, one for red, one for green, one for blue. I make a negative of each, cha- of each channel. Then I use that negative to make a positive. Mm-hmm. And the positive is made onto a sheet of film called a matrix film. And it's, it's basically a sheet of film Um, that has an emulsion on it and you expose it, you develop it and the emulsion um, develops like like peaks and valleys um, depending on how the density of light that it's received. So develop that and then when I have the positive um, I put it into a corresponding bath of dye so then into my cyan or my magenta or my yellow. The gelatine relief absorbs the dye, Mm -hmm. Um, I wash off the excess and then I roll them out one um, by one onto a sheet of receiver paper to form the dye
0: transfer print. You say receiver paper because I'm familiar with silk screen printing to some degree. So okay. So on silk screen, you've, a lot of silk screen would be done onto fabric. Yes. So you're doing it onto a paper.
1: Yeah, I'm doing it onto a very specific Kodak paper okay. that Kodak developed for this, and it's more daunted um, to receive the dyes, and it was more daunted with a, a thorium nitrate, uh, which you wouldn't get away with these days. Uh, so. They say it's slightly radioactive, I haven't grown any extra fingers in <laughs> the time I've been using
2: it.
0: No, you haven't <laughs> so lost any ideas.
1: I haven't lost any. Um, so that's it, it's very particular and, it, and it's really the paper, the combination between the acidity of the dyes, the alkalinity of the paper, that, um, that make the dyes bite into the paper and give us these really vibrant and luscious colours.
0: Right, now you mentioned the, the three uh, colours and we're all very familiar when you're going to buy coloured print Ink. You get your c y and your your cyan your yellow and your your um, magenta. The subtlety between colors is such that one number in the range changes the, the shade. Yes, so to get the degree the number of colors that would be reflected in any one print here uh, by that I mean that you could be looking at up to five hundred to thousand different shades of color. yes. So to achieve that degree, how are uh, how
1: that's the that's that the, the negative. Y- yeah, but it's also the nature of of light and working with this um, this system, which is which is the basic kind of additive and subtractive um, color system. And now we don't even think about how color is created because it's created for us. You buy an ink, you buy a dye, you buy a paint; it's all done for you. Here we're at the very start of making a full color print, so we're talking. Talking about basic colour science, RGB, CYM. Yeah. Um and that's the basic additive subtractive colour wheel, and that's the method by which I make these prints. And so what we're dealing with is we're dealing with degrees of light, yeah. light ex- exposing the, the film, and then creating different levels of density. The density then in the positive, um, you know, absorbs more dye or less dye, and then that's what's, what's transferred to the paper.
0: Okay. Okay. So, before we start walking, if someone is going to start out and they start out here, what would you recommend they allocate themselves time-wise to take in the trail?
2: That's
1: a bit of a funny one, because I can fly around it in 15, 20 minutes, but <laughs> my father might take an hour. <laughs> so, you know, get a cup of coffee and take your time, because the the thing is, you want people to spend a bit of time with the images. Anybody can walk by and, and glance at it quickly, right. but it doesn't mean that you're learning anything about
2: it.
0: Right.
1: So, the more time you spend with an image, the more you learn.
0: And let's... Advise people as well if you are going to download the, with the QR code, you do need a QR scanner on your phone.
1: Oh, you no, you just you need a camera. You,
0: you just need the camera. You
1: just need the camera. And but you can also find us at dungarvanartrail.ie and, and you can follow us on Instagram at dungarvanartrail.
0: Indeed. So, Jean, where, where are we going? Second
1: spot is up Mary Street.
0: Okay. Um, so, we can chat a little as we head up Mary Street and um, tell us about. Um, what got you into your interest in art to start with, where you went to school or was it developed there or where did, did this whole creative process come from?
1: Um, I think that I was always an artist but I really fought against the idea of being an artist.
0: Right.
2: Uh,
1: to me when I grew up, because I grew up on a farm here, um, I had no idea what the job of an artist could, could be. Um, and I, I, yeah, I was always interested in photography. I was interested in cameras when I was a kid. I would take out my mother's camera, put in and out a and roll of film, and I was interested in looking at at, at, at photographs. When I went to school. Um, I suppose I didn't, I wasn't great in school and there was more of a kind of a, I suppose the narrative at the time was look just finish school, try and get a,
0: a decent, do, job.
1: Yeah, just do something. <laughs> it wasn't about like finding what was right for you or finding what you'd be best at, it was just like get a piece of paper behind your name right. and or go down and join the guards. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, Before and so, they come after you. Yeah and so that was it but right. I was. I remember being in school and, and then quite about studying photography, um, and I was. But I then I went in a different direction. I actually moved to Canada for a year.
0: Where, where did you live? I
1: lived in Toronto.
0: Okay.
1: I worked in McPhee's.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, which was the very first Irish pub ever in in Toronto on the corner of Church and Richmond. I worked there for a year. Okay. That was an experience. Um, and yeah, I loved Canada actually. And um, and then I came home and through the jigs and the reels I studied something else. And then I found out about a photography course in, in Cork and I signed up for it and I was very, very fortunate that with that photography course and it's still one of the only photography courses um, in the country that teaches both black and white and colour printing okay. and from there then that, I developed my love of the darkroom.
0: Um, I had a wonderful conversation with Andy Kelly Uh, A while back, and his collection of the the archives that he came across in the process of printing and his his treasure trove,
1: and a great treasure trove, I believe it is. A
0: fantastic treasure trove. Um, So the other thing about the arts, it doesn't matter what aspect of the arts, it's very difficult to actually make a living. Yes. So you are fortunate enough that your work is on display in uh, represented in London and New York. Yes. (laughs) <laughs>
1: well, the thing about it is, is that you need to be very strategic yes. and you need to run your art practice like a business. Right. My, I'm in the business of making and selling prints. Okay. I'm not in the business of sitting at home looking out the window wondering what it is to be an artist. What is art? I'm in the business of getting up every day and putting in a really long day's work in the studio and putting something onto the market that um, is... Maybe very different to everything else that's on the market, but something that people can, you know, relate to also.
0: We've arrived at uh, 38 Mary Street. Mary Street, and I take it what we're looking at is one of the characters that was in the restaurant from the previous window. Yeah, this is Kim Novak.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: And tell me about this.
1: Uh, This is a side profile of Kim Novak and a very um, beautiful image. And I love how um, Hitchcock is inadvertently um, alerting us all to danger by this, you know, stark red um, backdrop and her beauty, is she's so alluring and that's what the purpose of this is, is to draw in the viewer and to draw in the, the um, poor, poor Jimmy Stewart um, to falling madly deeply in love with her. And this is um, the, the starting point.
2: Who's the woman in the painting? She's looking at. Oh, that's Carlotta. You find it in the catalogue. Portrait of Carlotta.
0: May I have it? Yes. Thank you. So, um, we're we're at stop number two. So from stop number two, then where are we going to go? And just at right across the road. Across like, the street. So. in um, since the trail was officially launched, and when when did we get it officially launched? On
1: seventh of May.
0: And what kind of or have you been, uh, analytics have you been able to assess or get here, getting any feedback?
1: Yes, uh, w- it's, the feedback has been incredible um, I, I suppose the the interest in the, the media has been um, has been kind of overwhelming um, but just the general feedback, one of the things that I suppose I hadn't really considered and one of the things that surprised me is that I suppose for maybe the older generation how well they know Vertigo and how how much they love Hitchcock I know they love Hitchcock but so many people have been passing and been like oh yeah Jimmy Stewart you know Kim Novak oh, I remember this movie and i really engaging with the work and so I think that that's wonderful it's, and I also think it's wonderful that for younger generations who who never saw a Technicolor movie before now are able to look at these images and have some idea of what a Technicolor movie might look like
0: yeah, and I guess with um, high definition, uh, where we see the blemishes, one of the things that the art on display in this type of environment means that it's getting hit by sunlight, it's getting hit. It's not a gallery environment. Yes. Have you any concerns about that?
1: I didn't until I just um, rocked up here and saw that there's a little bit of condensation on the on the, the glass of, of this French. But no, um, the wonderful thing about dark transfer and the wonderful thing about, you know, the way that they were considering colour at the time is that dye transfer is really, it's it's lightfast which means I would have to leave these prints in this window in direct sunlight for a long time before any of the colour will fade.
0: Right, because I know if we look at photography particularly black and white old photographs that you pick out, they have, they have deteriorated over time.
1: And which often and gives them... Has,
0: colour even has changed in colours.
1: Yes, well, co- many of the time the colour has changed in the colours because of the, the, the nature of how those prints were made, and particularly from, you know, what generation of printing it was. Before people used to go and get, you know, their their 24-shot roll of 35 mil handed into the chemist and and get their their um, prints back. Those prints might not be the best quality prints that you can get, and therefore will fade.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, When it comes to the scenes, we have another one coming up here with Jimmy Stewart. Um, Isn't this beautiful? Yeah, and the blue eyes are so prominent. Yeah. Um, and. The art in the background is so contrasting, but then the images that you selected or that you have, did you literally have to sit, watch the movie minute by minute, second <laughs> frame by frame yeah. and say that's the frame?
1: Yes. Yes. How long did that take uh, Yes, a <laughs> very long time. I would have sent the, my gallerist, wonderful James Danziger in New York, um, I would have sent him an edit and he would have said, No! And then I would have, like, back again. And, uh, because the thing about it is is that you kind of, at start, you might try and, and go for the, the well-known iconic images. Right. But what you've really got to do is you've got to find a balance between those images and then, um, and then bringing images into the, into the edit that people maybe remember but are not overly familiar with. Um, and they are the things that really build the exhibition, create a bit of intrigue, um, yeah, and, and develop it
0: as a body of work. Uh, and when you mention intrigue, but I mentioned to Stewart there, the image to the left and this and um, we're on thirteen Rarity Street, the image on the left as we look at it you can see the intrigue in that.
1: Yes, and this is a very famous um, um, image the, the curl at the back of Kim Novak's um, hair uh, while she's sitting in the gallery, and Jimmy Stewart is watching her. Um, the, this curl and this kind of like circular um, motif comes up time and time again in Hitchcock's work. Um, but here, I feel that this is a very timeless shot. It's also very, it, while it's you know, it's made in 1958, it's it's very contemporary as well, and it can live very comfortably, uh, you know, within the movie or the photographic print. It's really one of the standout images from the from the movie.
0: And very obviously, pre-lockdown, because it's not a lockdown here. Yeah. We'll move on, Where are we going? Now
1: we're going to... Um, where are we going? We're going to uh, um, the top of Grand Square here and then onto O'Connell Street.
0: And as we don't walk down towards Grattan Square... Oh sorry, we're here. No, we're here. Oh we're, sorry, I forgot there. about this one. Okay.
1: Here we have the, um, the Hitchcock cameo.
0: And we're down on... That what was was thir- That was 13, so we're probably at 14, 15, 16 or 12, 11, 10. We're about number mm. 10. So know what's
1: known as Irwin's Megavision.
0: Okay, we're back towards the square. Yes. Okay, so what have we got?
1: So here we have Hitchcock's cameo. And so Hitchcock appeared in 54 of of his movies. Um, His cameos are really so clever and so iconic. Um, how he placed himself within the frames in so many different movies is really quite remarkable and very, very, very clever Um, but... What happened was is that the cameo became such a spectacle that people were spending a lot of time waiting and looking out for Hitchcock and not following the plot of the story. So towards his later movies he just wanted to get it over and done with as quickly as possible. Um, so this one happens within I think it's the first 10 minutes of the movie and it's just a, a, a walk through.
0: What's fascinating in that, as I look at it, is we could be looking at a scene that is current. Yes. You know, with the machinery and and what year are we looking at here? 1957. 1957. It could be 2021. Yes. Uh, because I can picture that type of scene around New York or other uh, North American cities particularly. And
1: one of the things about him is that we, um, you know, so much of this work is, is really timeless and that's what makes it great. Indeed. You know, when something is really, really good, it will stand the testament to time and and this is one of... You know, Vertigo is thought to be the greatest movie ever made, um, and it is believed to be his greatest colour, colour work, right. um, and it really, it, there's not every movie that you can take apart in this way and just look at the individual frames as, as, as photographic images, but he put them together in such a clever, astute way, with so much artistry, um, and so many layers within each of the scenes that they can live today, you know, he, he passed away in 1981, the year I was born so here I am like 40 years later talking about how relevant the work he he made in 1957
0: was. Indeed and you can see the motion in the picture even though it's just... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Indeed. Where to?
1: Okay so next we're at the top of Grattan Square here.
0: And we've arrived at number 34 Graton Square and we're looking at three images in the window here, three prints. Yes. Um, the bridge, that's the, gold, that's the Golden Gate Bridge in the middle. Yes. And on each side, Kim Novak in two different scenes.
1: Yes. So the first image that we see is Kim Novak in the flower shop. What we've got to think about here is how cleverly Hitchcock um, um, positioned the camera. So, so while while we're to believe that it's Jimmy Stewart spying on Kim Novak through a chink in a door, it's really the viewer who's participating in the voyeurism. Um, and because the scene is so beautiful, we don't consider that, and that's another one of the things that's so masterful about Hitchcock, he makes you complicit, but you're just going, oh isn't this really fantastic you know, it's so pretty that you're, that you're not aware of it
0: I know where we are at the moment temporarily, we are reminded regularly about the birds because the crows grow up
2: yeah and it really
1: is there's, there's, while the birds is a really um, frightening movie it's also really humorous and I, and I love that, that, that there's that kind of twisted element to it where, um, what is that German word, Schadenthronen um, or something like that where uh, you take um, pleasure in somebody else's kind of misfortune or and there's a bit of that where he, where he finds the fact that people are so, uh, you know, um, frightened by it, really uh, humorous.
0: Um, and then the Golden Gate Bridge of course an iconic view
1: yes yes and I suppose you know one of I suppose, not only a really iconic um, American um, landmark, but this shot in particular of Kim Novak, the way that she's standing there, almost leaning back, posing for for uh, the viewer, aware of the fact that she's been watched. She's, she's you know, playing the role of this woman. Um, and so, you know, she's not just... Kim Novak within the movie playing the role of Madeleine. She's Judy within the movie. She's Kim Novak who is Judy playing the role of Madeleine, and then she's putting on a performance for the sake of Jimmy Stewart and for the sake of us, the audience.
0: Um, are you a movie buff? Yeah. <laughs> because to get into this level of detail, like. Um I wanted I one, one of the, the lines. I suppose it was uh, uh, from Casablanca. Um, like of all the gin joints, not of all the movies and all the cinemas and all the rest of it. How much? Uh, you're, you're really into Netflix and I'm. Um,
1: I'm really into Netflix. Um, but maybe not so. I don't have that much time. But <laughs> yeah. I definitely like movies, and right. I definitely watch movies and. Um, I probably wasn't as into Hitchcock when I started making this movie, or when I started looking into this movie. Um, but then, the more time I spent with it, the more I realised that, you know, he's 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 kind of like the James Joyce of of movie making. You know, he's he's a genius. That and you've got to remember, like people in the 1960s that started coming along: Francis Coppola, Steven Spielberg, you know, Martin Scorsese. They were all learning from Hitchcock. Hitchcock was the person, you know, who's he was the giant upon whose shoulders they stood. And if it wasn't for him ironing out the creases to make these kind of classically, you know, um, constructed yet, um, you know, deep and meaningful films, then we wouldn't have the likes of those film directors today. So everyone's got to start somewhere, and Hitchcock laid a lot of the groundwork for other people.
0: And I will never forget. Um uh, Rebecca. Oh yes. And um, to make in fabulous movies. Yes. And Strangers
1: anyway? on a Train and Shadow of Doubt. there are also two movies that are that are are really great.
0: Um, so where are we off to? Uh,
1: we're off to this building here, which was oh. a former restaurant, and now, okay. um, um, and we've got these two these two wonderful scenes. So in the first image here, we've got um, Jimmy Stewart embracing Madeline, Um um, in it's actually in a stable by this tower where she breaks free from his clutches then and she runs up the tower and he's got his vertigo so there's a spiraling staircase and he he tries to run after her but he, he really can't make his way up the stairs. and this is a very interesting thing as well about Hitchcock is that Hitchcock had to develop the camera techniques so that how do you do that 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 panning in and out from the kind of create to try and create this kind of idea the vertigo and the spinning and so they had to you know had all these different challenges that they had to come over because those things hadn't been done before
0: Right. and, and so and you weren't splicing digitally the way you can now exactly yes
1: and so she runs up to the top of the tower and then we're led and made, made believe that she she throws herself off the top of the building so here we see the body in mid-flight right yeah and that then is the point where jimmy stewart starts spiraling into um, a deep dark depression and he's lost the woman he loves
0: when you say in five with modern cin- cinematography every frame is a fraction of a second yeah. so yes what you have in this particular image uh, is a number of se- well uh, more than a one fraction because you're getting the motion
1: Yes. Well, you see, the the building is stationary, obviously, and Naturally. the background is stationary, and you can see that it's very clearly like a painted set. Ye- yeah, yeah. Um, and so when you're going through it, you're you're like free framing it, going, you know, inching it fraction of a second by fraction of a second, so that you can find the exact points where you feel like it'll make the best photographic image. So from when her head comes into the frame, you know, and you're you stop at so where you that, feel.
0: So that is that more than one frame?
1: That that's that is yes it is one more than one frame.
0: Right. Whereas the others are one frame.
1: Yeah, but it, it's in motion. You're you oh, I don't you're know
0: what it is. Mean, but, but it is. It's, so it's 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 a fuse.
1: Yes. Right. Well, I, sorry, I don't really understand how By you mean that a fuse.
0: By that I mean you've merged... You've no, merged
1: no, 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 it, it's one frame in that it's, um, it's, you know, the film is running and I've pre-framed it at the exact point that I want
0: to, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, yeah, because what I'm saying in a way is with modern cinematography, one frame, you wouldn't get the blur. Okay. In a way.
1: I, yes. You're, well, you're you're meant to get the blur.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know that. No. Yeah. That's no why he I was he, the he
1: intended this. Yes. 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 Yeah.
0: yeah. Right.
1: Where to? Where to? We're off down here now to uh, further on down on Street.
0: So we're still on Main Street and we're, we've come away from the square up towards, and we're uh, beside Elbridge. Yes. Yes. So we're in this
1: beautiful old shopfront that was originally a bakery. Right. And it's one of, um, it's kind of an architectural uh, treasure in the town. Um, I am sorry, I, I don't have all the details of what year this old shop from is from but it really is it's beautiful you can see the old um, woodwork here it's, it's fantastic so this image is showing Jimmy Stewart spiraling out of control and I love how I suppose um, how neon the colors are um, and how kind of animated it is um, and it's really vibrant, you know, this, this, the green, yellow-green of his face and the, and the purple backdrop it's really something um, different and it really um, separates the movie into two halves it's like this, um, this breaker and it's it's fantastic moment.
0: Did you need to, to go and understand how these effects were achieved at that time?
1: I did to a point because I wanted to understand it myself but mm. it wasn't necessary for making the prints.
0: Right. Right, because again with modern computer technology, um, special effects are relatively easy
1: yeah these weren 't relatively easy i, I don 't think th- <laughs> i wouldn 't think so I wouldn't but there 's a lot of information as well i mean you 're you're, you're trying to find these things out, and, and the information is not is not there it 's not available, right. you know so you you kind of got to go with what other people, um, you know, from a lot of the academic resources, um, so the different um, portals that you can go on to where you read people's pieces about how, you know, different films... Um, Theory and and yeah, and practices at the time. So that's where I would acquire a lot of the information.
0: Right. Um, so one. Uh, we we one more here. Well, so we are going first to some.
1: Um, we're going to where? What was the old beach gallery?
0: So we're probably going west. Yes. Yeah, I think we're going west. Um. So th- when you do a print, yes, each print is individual? Yes. So you do not do, uh, you do you do more than one copy of any one print?
1: Yes, uh, for each image is, uh, it was made in an addition of ten. Okay. Plus two what are called AP's, artist, artist proofs.
0: Right. And, and so... Then given that they are prints and each one is individually printed. Yes. Is there ever a concern that there might be even a digital difference in the red-green-blue point between one print and another?
1: That's not, the, that's not the, where the issue becomes involved. So I would spend maybe two weeks making the first print. Okay. And then when I have the, the three positives that I put into the dye, then I can kind of make them, when, when all the information in those positives is correct, then I can kind of, you know, make them, repeat them. However, because of the nature of, of the printing process and because of the nature of me being human, Each one is different. (laughs) The the variations are slight. Yes. uh, But that's that's also the whole thing. I mean, they're they're handcrafted.
0: Yes. Yes. So in effect, each one is an individual.
1: Yes. Unique.
0: Unique. Now, in most, in fact, in in art, painting particularly, you're going to see a signature somewhere along. I haven't seen anything anywhere to tell you. Yes, people.
1: I wouldn't put in my signature on the front of it. It wouldn't no. be my style now. No, but
0: no. where? No.
1: At the back, each one of the prints is stamped and signed. And,
0: and numbers. Yes. Of one, 1 to 10. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we're looking at Jimmy Stewart here. Yes.
1: We're looking at Jimmy Stewart in this image, and there's a very famous um, uh, American photographer named Cindy Sherman, who I think was in the 1970s made a series of film stills. They've become where she positioned herself in... um, in staged photographs, which were um, replicating images um, that were commonly as kind of associated to films, um, and one of them in particular, um, we feel I've really felt was very similar to this, where the building is kind of sits in the background at an angle. Uh, there's an old lamppost, and she's there looking off into the distance, as he is there now. Um, and so if we can see the kind of the, the parallels, but we can see the connection between this image and how Hitchcock's work was used or influenced contemporary art. Right. Right. We can also see that the blue in this is is particularly striking and it's particularly clean and bright and blue. And this is one of the wonderful things about dye transfer where you can get these fantastic clean colours.
0: But if it were to be a jigsaw you'd have a hell of a time. Yeah, you're never (laughs) making that one easy. (laughs) (laughs) I asked you to come up here, Scotty, knowing that you've quit detective work. But I wondered whether you'd go back on the job as a special favour to me. I want you to follow my wife. I'm afraid some harm may come to her. From whom? Someone dead?
1: down to um, Main
0: Street. Okay. Yeah. So when we talked about um, if you had any response from other towns around the country or anything like that, um, this exhibition is all your work. Yes. Um, So have you heard from other artists who have said, well, good idea, I'd like to try and do something in my own fest?
1: No, and I I suppose that um, if they are thinking about that, uh, they'll... They'll have to spend a bit of time developing their concept and developing, the, you know, the, thinking about how they would like to curate a show. Yeah. Um, but I think the idea is out there, right? And people will use this as as they as they please, really. Um, and yeah, and I hope they do. I hope that I hope that we live in a world where. You know, everybody walks around with a, with a phone in their po- in their pockets that yep. can take a, a photograph. Yep. So everybody has a camera on them, and we see people using cameras now, um, almost to
2: um,
1: show us incidents that happen in daily life uh, that they can put up on on the internet. Right. And so very often it's not for an artistic purpose. Um, but when you think about it, like the all of these mean, you can make a full feature film now on an iPhone yes but that's not how we're really thinking about using our phones, well a lot of people are not thinking about using their phones in that way Um, it's more about just creating content you know, and so it would be great to see maybe um, more artistic style images coming from phones and being shown in I suppose in contemporary or in kind of public settings
0: Going back to the process that you're using, Uh, it's not common. Are you 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 would be one of a handful, if not? Are you unique in the world?
1: I'm I'm one of four. Okay. But I'm the only artist in the world that makes my own that uses this type of printing as the basis of my artistic practice.
0: Right. Yeah. So when you say you're one of four, the other three, what would they be doing?
1: Okay, so one of them, two of them I'm very fortunate that I've had, and I really say now, I've I've been very lucky so far with with launching this this work, and, uh, you know, had some wonderful things like... To coincide with the with the first my first solo exhibition of this work, which happened in the Danziger Gallery in in New York, uh, we were on the front page of the New York Times art section, right. which was an incredible day for me because prior to my art career, I worked as a photojournalist, okay. and I was living in Kenya. And photographers, would, you know, that I was surrounded by, might get the front cover of the New York Times, and I was always so jealous. I was like, oh man, that's the the holy grail, you know, and uh, Um, And then and behold, instead of me taking a photo of some other story, I was the story. (laughs) I I was on the cover of the art section, so it was a big day for me. And so, I've had these wonderful things happen with the launch of this work, but none better than getting the opportunity to go to America and work with two of the other printers, uh, James Browning and Guy uh, Guy Strickers. both of them have different approaches and methods to the printing but both of them um, are people who have spent their life uh, lives trying to make and output the most beautiful prints possible. So we're at 56 Main Street. Main Street. So here we see Kim Novak as Judy. Okay. Um, so Madeline's dead now of course. She's been thrown from the building and here we see Judy sitting in her bedroom and we see her silhouette against this this green light and this green light is very important because this green light is telling us about something eerie something you know paranormal right. that's, that's almost about to happen so like Kim Novak's side profile um, against the red that was warning us of, of how alluring she was and, and warning us of her danger, this now is warning us of something uh, something else right.
0: Beautiful.
1: yeah um, it's, really, it's a really fantastic shot
0: so since you've launched the, the exhibition, since you got the coverage in the New York uh, magazine how far afield are you aware that your work has travelled?
1: Um, well, I've, I've, so, I've, I've had solo shows in New York, LA, and now I have a solo show, the work opening um, on the 10th of June in Munich, okay. um, I've shown it in London and Paris as well. Yeah. Um, I have people who have bought it. Yes. Um, I, I don't really know. When when the New York Times um, article happened, the wonderful thing about America is is that people um, pick up the phone and and, and buy prints. Yes. Where they live, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, the gallery says, sends out the prints, but I mean, I really was taken back for. you know, a few days of of the support I suppose that people started showing the project because I'd worked, I mean in order for me to become a dye transfer printer I basically locked myself away for three years and did nothing but try and study this and try and teach myself this every day, and little things like you know, I had to make my own photographic developer every day for, for nearly nine months I went into a dark room and tried to mix the chemistry to make the developer that I could, you know, develop my matrix film with, and every day you know, it would pose a different problem or something would, would happen. And so, you know, you're on, this, you're on this wheel like a hamster going, am I ever, is it ever going to work? Is it ever going to take flight? but I stuck with it and you know like I had to you know convince an awful lot of people along the way that I was on this journey I was going to stick with it I was going to see what happened and so I James Sandinger in New York had come on board before I'd finished all the work and had given me an opportunity and said right I'll give you a show you have to have it done for this date and so I had to you know take out a copyright license with the Hitchcock State get the frames from Universal Studios which was another challenge um, and then turn around and make this exhibition a work so by the time that it had you know gone to launched in New York um, I mean there was four years a lot of lot of heartache sweat tears um, involved, and so for it to coincide with the article and then for people to be interested enough to purchase prints, I mean I was really <laughs> I was blown away well, and it all, it all came out
0: there was tears, there was joy there was <laughs> but that would have been four, four years, as you said, where um, surviving those four years, you must have had to do other stuff to just put food in the
1: family. Well, um, when I first moved to London, I was working out of a lab and they wanted to develop their di- uh, they had some of the dye di- transfer materials and they wanted to develop dye di- transfer as an offering um, that they could you know, offer as a service. Okay. However, the, the space wasn't really suitable and so I went in there every day and they paid me a small wage while I was there. Um, but at the end of the day, the, play- the the premises wasn't suitable and I was going to need a Level of investment that um, was, I suppose was greater than what they were prepared to put in at the time. And so I kind of had to um, make the difficult decision that I would just go out on my own. And so then I had to put a business plan together. Mm-hmm. I had to go to the credit union. I had to take out a loan. I had to take out enough money so that I could survive for, you know, while buying the materials, getting a studio, making the work, uh, you know, getting paying for frames everything um um and yeah and I remember going into the credit union and saying you know I'm an artist I want to make this body of work will you support me and they were like when will you go to market I was like in over a year <laughs> um but thankfully they supported me and, and if it's not if it's not for people you know I suppose recognizing your passion and giving you a chance sure then where would any of us be you know and so thankfully they did and 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 that's what happened so where are we so here we are at this iconic climatic scene within Vertigo. we're at the art center and this is one of the most important scenes of any movie ever made this is the moment when Jimmy Stewart cannot be with Judy because he, he'd, he'd seen Judy in the street, he spotted her, he saw a resemblance to her, between her and Madeline, and they start to, he, he wants to get to know her, and as he gets to know her, he starts asking her to dress like Madeline, to, you know, get her hair dyed, and eventually, in order to be with the woman that he lost, he needs to get this woman to dress up as her. And so, she goes into the bathroom, she's, she's trying to fight him, she's trying to resist, but eventually she says, if I do this for, for you, will you will you love me? And he said, yes, I love you. And so she goes into the bathroom, ties up her hair, and she emerges from the bathroom as Madeline. Now, this is where the green light comes in. What he, what's really happening here is kind of like it's an act of necrophilia. Like, he's made this other woman dress up as somebody that is deceased so that he can be with them. So this is, this is Hitchcock. This is the dark themes, the strange sexual fantasies, all of that coming, this, this is all of that in this one image, and yes, a beautiful image.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it is indeed, and the level of detail, and I'm looking at the pattern on the bedspread and just the flowers then <laughs> on the wall. And the
1: pink lampshade, yes. how everything is matching, everything is so girly, everything is so pretty, yeah. you know, and, and like the, there's almost an innocence to it. Yes. And yes, there's something really disturbing happening here.
0: Yes. Yes, and also the the scene, particularly when I look to the left, it nearly looks like it is a set deliberately rather than a real. Like it, it nearly looks like there is an element of it being false.
2: Yes.
1: Yes, and it it, it is it is a set. Yes. But it, I love how that there's these kind of like two parallel kind of. Um, there's this kind of parallel situation running here where you have the bed and it's covered in green and it's, you know doused in the green light you have her emerging in the middle but then you have this door yes and it's like the door doesn't the, the green light is not falling on the door and it's like you can get out of this you know there's your there's your exit you don't have to go down this like dark C D. so there's, there's there's a lot of play here there's a lot of
0: tension in the image so Jane where this is the final image no we no, two, more two, more two more
1: at the library on the keys
0: So, Dean, we've to the final two images at the library. A um, beautiful location overlooking the, the, the bay at uh, the harbour here, and loads of sailboats, which make me jealous. Yes, nice, isn't it? The sail- <laughs> hasn't been active for a while on our side of the, the Atlantic. So, these final two images.
1: So these final two images are um, the final two final scenes of the film, and so here we have Jimmy Stewart is after realising that he was played played and that. um, Judy was ma- playing the role of Madeline all along, and so he's brought her up to the top of the tower uh, to have it out with her. And he's, you know, he's overcome his vertigo now. His rage is his rage is the dominating factor here, and uh, so we see a completely different side of Jimmy Stewart, one that's almost un- unimaginable. And uh, so what happens is, is through the jigs and the reels and they're having this massive argument at the top of the tower and he kind of throws her across the room and whatever way she comes back and she stumbles doesn't she history repeats itself and and she falls from the window or she falls from the from the tower and so here we see gibby stewart walking out onto the ledge in the final image um, of this tower and now madeline Judy, truly gone truly gone truly gone
0: well jane it has been a fascinating Trail and tour, and I want to thank you sincerely for taking the time. It's been wonderful meeting you. Thank you. It's been wonderful seeing your work and learning about the process and everything else. And would highly recommend uh, Dungarvan, County Waterford, part of the um, uh, well, the Ireland's Ancient East. And yeah. uh, as you say allow yourself. So I'd say allow the hour. Okay. Allow the hour. Take your time and click on the QR codes and when someone clicks on a QR code does it give them the details of of what the image is about? No,
1: it doesn't. It just tells you what the project is about. Um, When developing it, what we realised is that maybe... There's such a thing as too much information yes. for people and so that was a decision that we kind of made at the final moment allow people to uh, look into it themselves and the funny thing about it is, is that very many people come along and they, and they look at the image they have questions, they've contacted me with questions about right. it which I've been happy to answer but also that they've um, gone off to watch Vertigo again and come up with their own ideas about it
0: Indeed. Yes. and if they want to contact you, where can they contact you?
1: You can contact me through the Dungarvan Art Trail
0: website and that is Trail.
1: Yes.
0: Jane Curran, thanks so much.
1: Thank you.